up in the state of Tennessee and came near to dying on the way home from want of proper care. Before Papa left for Fort Smith, he arranged for a colored man named Yarnell Poindexter to feed the stock and look in on Mama and us every day. Yarnell and his family lived just below us on some land he rented from the bank. He was born of free parents in Illinois, but a man named Bloodworth kidnapped him in Missouri and brought him down to Arkansas just before the war. Yarnell was a good man, thrifty and industrious, and he later became a prosperous house painter in Memphis, Tennessee. We exchanged letters every Christmas until he passed away in the flu epidemic of 1918. To this day, I have never met anybody else named Yarnell, white or black. I attended the funeral and visited in Memphis with my brother, little Frank, and his family. Instead of going to Fort Smith by steamboat or train, Papa decided he would go on horseback and walk the ponies back all tied together. Not only would it be cheaper, but it would be a pleasant outing for him and a good ride. Nobody loved to gad about on a prancing steed more than Papa. I have never been very fond of horses myself, although I believe I was accounted a good enough rider in my youth. I never was afraid of animals. I remember once I rode a mean goat through a plum thicket on a dare. From our place to Fort Smith was about 70 miles as a bird flies, taking you past beautiful Mount Nebo, where we had a little summer house so Mama could get away from the mosquitoes, and also Mount Magazine, the highest point in Arkansas. But it might as well have been 700 miles for all I knew of Fort Smith. The boats went up there, and some people sold their cotton up there, but that was all I knew about it. We sold our cotton down in Little Rock. I had been there two or three times. Papa left us on his saddle horse, a big chestnut mare with a blazed face called Judy. He took some food and a change of clothes rolled up in some blankets and covered with a slicker. This was tied behind his saddle. He wore his belt gun, which was a big, long dragoon pistol, the cap and ball kind that was old-fashioned even at that time. He had carried it in the war. He was a handsome sight, and in my memory's eye, I can still see him mounted up there on Judy in his brown woolen coat and black Sunday hat, and the both of them, man and beast, blowing little clouds of steam on that frosty morn. He might have been a gallant knight of old. Tom Chaney rode his gray horse that was better suited to pulling a middle buster than carrying a rider. He had no handgun, but he carried his rifle slung across his back on a piece of cotton plow line. There is trash for you. He could have taken an old piece of harness and made a nice leather strap for it. That would have been too much trouble. Papa had right around $250 in his purse, as I had reason to know since I kept his books for him. Mama was never any good at sums, and she could hardly spell cat. I do not boast of my own gifts in that direction. Figures and letters are not everything. Like Martha, I have always been agitated and troubled by the cares of the day, but my mother had a serene and loving heart. She was like Mary and had chosen that good part. The two gold pieces that Papa carried concealed in his clothes were a marriage gift from my grandfather Sperling in Monterey, California. Little did Papa realize that morning that he was never to see us or hold us again, nor would he ever again hearken to the meadowlarks of Yale County trilling a joyous anthem to spring. The news came like a thunderclap. Here is what happened. Papa and Tom Chaney arrived in Fort Smith and took a room at the Monarch Boarding House. 
They called on Stonehill at his stock barn and looked over the ponies. It fell out there was not a mare in the lot, or a stallion for that matter. The Texas cowboys rode nothing but geldings for some cowboy reason of their own, and you can imagine they are no good for breeding purposes. But Papa was not to be turned back. He was determined to own some of those little brutes, and on the second day he bought four of them for one hundred dollars even, bringing Stonehill down from his asking price of one hundred and forty dollars. It was a good enough buy. They made plans to leave the next morning. That night, Tom Chaney went to a bar room and got into a game of cards with some riffraff like himself and lost his wages. He did not take the loss like a man, but went back to the room at the boarding house and sold up like a possum. He had a bottle of whiskey, and he drank that. Papa was sitting in the parlor, talking to some drummers. By and by, Chaney came out of the bedroom with his rifle. He said he had been cheated and was going back to the bar room and get his money. Papa said that if he had been cheated, then they'd best go talk to the law about it. Chaney would not listen. Papa followed him outside and told him to surrender the rifle as he was in no fit state to start a quarrel with a gun in his hand. My father was not armed at that time. Tom Chaney raised his rifle and shot him in the forehead, killing him instantly. There was no more provocation than that, and I tell it as it was told to me by the high sheriff of Sebastian County. Some people might say, well, what business was it of Frank Ross to meddle? My answer is this. He was trying to do that short devil a good turn. Cheney was a tenant, and Papa felt responsibility. He was his brother's keeper. Does that answer your question? Now, the drummers did not rush out to grab Cheney or shoot him, but instead scattered like poultry, while Cheney took my father's purse from his warm body and ripped open the trouser band and took the gold pieces, too. I cannot say how he knew about them. When he finished his thieving, he raced to the end of the street and struck the night watchman at the stock barn a fierce blow to the mouth with his rifle stock, knocking him silly. He put a bridle on Papa's horse Judy and rode out bareback. Darkness swallowed him up. He might have taken the time to saddle the horse or hitched up three spans of mules to a Concord stagecoach and smoked a pipe, as it seems no one in that city was after him. He had mistaken the drummers for men. The wicked flee when none pursueth. Lawyer Daggett had gone to Helena to try one of his steamboat suits, and so Yarnell and I rode the train to Fort Smith to see about Papa's body. I took around $100 expense money and wrote myself out a letter of identification and signed Lawyer Daggett's name to it and had Mama sign it as well. She was in bed. There were no seats to be had on the coaches. The reason for this was that there was to be a triple hanging at the federal courthouse in Fort Smith, and people from as far away as East Texas and North Louisiana were going up to see it. It was like an excursion trip. We rode in a colored coach, and Yarnell got us a trunk to sit on. When the conductor came through, he said, Get that trunk out of the aisle, nigger. I replied to him in this way, we will move the trunk, but there is no reason for you to be so hateful about it. He did not say anything to that, but went on taking tickets. He saw that I had brought to all the darkies' attention how little he was. We stood up all the way, but I was young and did not mind. On the way, we had a good lunch of spare ribs that Yarnell had brought along in a sack. I noticed that the houses in Fort Smith were numbered, 
but it was no city at all compared to Little Rock. I thought then, and still think, that Fort Smith ought to be in Oklahoma instead of Arkansas, though, of course, it was not Oklahoma across the river then, but the Indian Territory. They have that big, wide street there called Garrison Avenue, like places out in the West. The buildings are made of fieldstone, and all the windows need washing. I know many fine people live in Fort Smith, and they have one of the nation's most modern waterworks, but it does not look like it belongs in Arkansas to me. There was a jailer at the sheriff's office, and he said that we would have to talk to the city police or the high sheriff about the particulars of Papa's death. The sheriff had gone to the hanging. The undertaker was not open. He had left a notice on his door saying he would be back after the hanging. We went to the monarch boarding house, but there was no one there except a poor old woman with cataracts on her eyes. She said that everybody had gone to the hanging but her. She would not let us in to see about Papa's traps. At the city police station, we found two officers, but they were having a fist fight and were not available for inquiries. Yarnell wanted to see the hanging, but he did not want me to go, so we said we should go back to the sheriff's office and wait there till everybody got back. I did not much care to see it, but I saw he wanted to, so I said no, we would go to the hanging, but I would not tell Mama about it. That was what he was worried about. The federal courthouse was up by the river on a little rise, and the big gallows was hard beside it. About a thousand or more people and fifty or sixty dogs had gathered there to see the show. I believe a year or two later they put up a wall around the place, and you had to have a pass from the marshal's office to get in, but at this time it was open to the public. A noisy boy was going through the crowd, selling parched peanuts and fudge. Another one was selling hot tamales out of a bucket. This is a cornmeal.